involvement in a business research group, the benefits of it are so, are there's so many to count. But first and foremost, it's creating that sense of community in an organization. And, you know, these days, I mean, that tends to be lacking, especially in large organizations where you feel like an individual, like kind of in a sea of people. These business research groups find a sense of commonality, a point of commonality and familiarity that make people feel connected. And that helps increase their engagement in the organization and also provides them with better visibility uh, to advance in the organization as well. So the benefits are, are numerous. Outside of just having that point of connection and a sense of community at work, um, you also have the opportunity to flex your skills and uh, get exposure to new people and new opportunities within the organization as well. And you get to learn more about what's going on because a lot of times the business resource groups are the first ones that get new information in the organization because they're seen as ambassadors and, and great communication vehicles for new things that are happening in the organization as well. So I think the benefits of joining a group are many. To start a group is not just fun and games. It's it's definitely fun to be a part of the group, but it's definitely, it's, it's you have to have a commitment to the organization and, and to you know, whatever dimension of diversity is of interest to you as well. So to really have that passion, that drive to want to make change and to want to put in the work. That's Shari Tran, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Fredert Health. Shari is talking about the benefits of starting and becoming an active member of a company-sponsored employee group. Shari is my guest for the first part of this episode of ERG Power Talk, on starting a new employee network. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Atrium Health, Fredert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. Now, let's go straight to the program. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for joining me today. <laughs> Good. How are, how are you? Good. So, Sherry, tell me a little bit about your current role, what you do right now. Sure. Uh, currently, I'm the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the Freighter Health System. been here for seven years. My role as Director of Diversity and Inclusion focuses mostly on the internal environment at Freighter. So, anything that touches our staff members in the workplace environment. So from recruiting and partnering with our human resources department um, very closely on recruitment efforts, engagement efforts, education efforts, and then also advancement efforts of our uh, diverse staff members throughout our organization. Excellent. Well, that sounds like a pretty broad scope of stuff that you work on. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this about the topic that we're talking about today, which has to do with essentially how to propose your new ERG or BRG. I'm sure you get a lot of proposals or have gotten proposals like this in the past. How important is it to have a well-designed proposal for a new ERG, BRG? I think it is really uh, very important that you kind of help to manage the expectations of people before they, they start to and go down that road of wanting to form a group because, you know, sometimes people don't have a, a really clear understanding of the purpose and scope 
of either ERGs or BRGs and uh, kind of how, what impact they can have and, and that it's a lot of work. You know, it's not just a, a social networking group. It's actually, you know, um, results oriented and, and business impact oriented. Um, so it's important to really outline that right away for people so they kind of know that this is a serious, you know, endeavor that they're embarking on. Um, so they don't have any surprises along the way. So really making that clear is, is definitely important. Yep, that makes sense. Do the ERG, BRG leaders that are putting together a new group, do they propose that to you? Or do you propose to a group of people that they start an ERG, BRG, and you put a proposal together? Which, which way does this proposal work? You know, it actually can go either way. It really, um, the first few groups that we started, we really kind of formulated and proposed them based on the needs of the organization, kind of where our business imperatives lied. So we saw some opportunities for really low-hanging fruit right away. Uh, but then as that starts to get traction, people get more interested in saying, what about this group or what about that group? So we had to have a process in place for that. So we've had some individuals kind of step forward and saying, have you thought about uh, starting a group around, you know, this particular dimension of diversity? So that really, uh, it, it, starts, it starts, I think, from, from a, a top-down approach, and then it starts to, to elevate from, from the grassroots uh, level as well. Got it. So let's say this, Shari, say that I am one of those people who looks at other groups that are around me and I say to myself, you know what, I could start a group around this particular dimension of diversity or this particular topic. What are some of the key things that you think that I need to focus on in making that proposal? We actually have a form that we have created to, to help our staff members kind of see the alignment to business strategy that's required for these groups to really be successful and impactful in the long term. So really thinking about one of the elements of the application talks about, you know, so for this particular business resource group that you're proposing, how does it tie to our organizational goals? How does it support strategies? Like we have five um, key strategies that we focus on as an organization. And we like to make sure that each of the business resource groups that we have can impact those different areas in some way. So really making that connection between your group's uh, purpose and also how that impacts organizational strategy is one of the key things that we look for. So we list those key strategies on our form and we ask the, um, the applicant to kind of write in what are the ways that your group can support these goals. Give me an example of a proposal for a BRG, ERG that you thought hit all the right buttons. First uh, groups that we had launched internally were um, our military and veterans business research group, our LGBTQA business research group, and our Black and African American business resource group. And one that we had been, um, you know, been really, uh, really hit on all cylinders for us as far as our initiatives internally as a healthcare system was our LGBTQA group. We were embarking on some proposals around opening our first um, LGBTQ-focused clinic. Um, throughout our organization. So it was really in the early stages of proposing that business model, um, but it was a perfect time for us to, to put this uh, business research group together because they really helped us uh, serve as sort of like a sounding board, a focus group, you know, some of those real subject matter experts <clears throat> that helped us prepare about uh, not just uh, the launch and the preparation of the marketing materials for that clinic, but also what kind of training and education would we need to provide to our staff members not just to be um, better care providers, but also to be better coworkers as well for our LGBTQ staff members that exist in the organization. It really helped us to really shift and start to move the culture of our organization 
and really helped us uh, as far as making sure that our policies and our practices were kind of mirroring what we were saying that we were all about in terms of um, LGBTQ care. How did their input affect how the clinic turned out? Well, it's still a work in progress yet because that clinic is only about uh, a year and a half old now, but it's been really successful for us because we were able to tap into our staff members who utilize that, that facility, but also, you know, can share that information with friends and family. So some of the things included, you know, when we reviewed um, opportunities to publicize uh, and share um, advertisements um, that were culturally relevant around the clinic, um, we were able to tap into our business resource groups to take a look at some of the wording, some of the um, the, the terminology used or some of the images that we used. And they really provided great input, which really made a big difference, I think, in how we reached the community. But also they were able to let us know that, you know, that's not the only way to reach people in the community. It's really a much more word of mouth kind of community, word of mouth that really helped promote clinics and promote services like that. So they were able to really build those relationships um, through conferences we attended or um, we had a, a great presence at our local Pride Fest events that we have each year here in the city. Um, they were involved in that process as well, being those spaces um, there um, at the table and at our booth um, at that Pride Fest event and able to connect with staff members and connect with, uh, with potential patients in the community. They had some great suggestions as well saying, you know what, we like to get to know our care providers. So have some care providers there at the festival to meet people and build those inroads before, you know, people come into the clinic and meet them for the first time. So that was really impactful for us too. Wow. It sounds like in addition to providing input, I think you mentioned being a focus group and some of those other components, they also acted as ambassadors. Absolutely. So if you were giving advice to someone who wanted to start a new ERG or a BRG and they were putting together a proposal and they may have some of the things that you have in your organization. I think it sounds like you have a template that people can mm -hmm. use to build this out. But whether they have a template or not, who would you advise that they engage and talk to to make their proposal as powerful as possible? You know, identifying who those key stakeholders are uh, throughout the organization is a good place to start. We actually ask them to identify at least 10 prospective members of the group before they, they formally propose. So they, they know they have a core group of, of active and very committed people to really do the work because it really is going to take a lot of a lot of all hands on deck to really make these uh, groups successful. So getting some of those early adopters on board, when you're talking about trying to connect to strategy, um, really talking to those folks that are um, impacted by the work you're going to do from a business standpoint. So, for example, as a healthcare organization, one of our key organizational goals is providing exceptional care. So, for example, if I were to use the LGBTQA group again as an example, they would want to talk to maybe one of our, our CNOs uh, in the organization and say, you know what, what are some of the things that you're hearing from our patients that, you know, we should focus on and how can we help make that a better experience for our LGBTQ patients? Or they may even talk to our patient relations department that often receives some of the either grievances or complaints or even, you know, good comments from our patients and say, have there been a lot of uh, issues that maybe we can focus on to put into our objectives as a group? And also um, from another goal of ours is around extraordinary people, which is our HR focus, our people policies and our people uh, strategies. So talking to our HR leaders, maybe our, our CHRO or our VP of HR to also ask, you know, what is our recruitment like? You know, are we, you know, struggling in recruiting and hiring LGBTQ staff or are there other 
issues that our staff members maybe have difficulties with either is it benefits or is it, you know, just the workplace environment that we can help, you know, focus on and help provide input and consultation for. So those kinds of stakeholders in the organization are great people to have conversations with before starting your proposal. Yeah, those all sound like great ideas. By the way, when you were speaking before, you mentioned the term CNO. For those Mm -hmm. of us who don't know what CNO is, what does that stand for? We got lots of acronyms in in lingo in the healthcare world. That's our chief nursing officers. So they're kind of like that C-level nurse executives in organization. Got it. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, thank you for that, that what you're saying is that in starting one of these groups, you almost have to go on a listening tour before you can launch it and collect all the information from all the different people that you think might be stakeholders, allies, intersectional partners, and you name it, all the different pieces. You want to collect all those pieces together before you actually start putting your proposal together. And you want to know how many members you're going to have. I think you mentioned you want to have at least 10 members that are ready to go. What about the actual structure of these groups when they're put together? Do you get involved also in that or do you have a template for that? Like what I mean by that is do you have a, a treasurer and the person who's in charge of education and a person who's in charge of, obviously you have chairs and co-chairs and mm-hmm. so forth. Is there a structure like that? What we have in place, we do have a, a, a charter for each group that they fill out when they get officially recognized as a BRG. So they have to identify a, an executive sponsor, which we help them identify as well, um, which is a, a C-level leader within the organization that can help remove obstacles and help guide them and connect them, make sure they're connecting to strategy. There's a chair for each group, a vice chair, and then a secretary. So those are the three official positions. Now, based on maybe some of the objectives and goals that they have as a particular group, they might identify different you know, committee, uh, subcommittees that also have leads. So if their focus as a group is really around membership or increasing membership or recruitment in the organization, they might have a subcommittee focused on that. So that might vary from group to group based on the objectives that they prioritize for themselves. But definitely all all groups will have those three leadership positions uh, as standard. Got it. So you guys actually provide a suggested Mm -hmm. structure and then they can take that suggested structure and they can build on it. They can, mm-hmm. they can add other roles and so forth to it as, as needed. Right. So you've been doing this for a while, obviously. Uh, I took a quick mm-hmm. look at your LinkedIn profile and I see you've been <laughs> in iSpace for a while. So you must have seen your share of situations where people had good intentions. They wanted to start a group, but it either got off on the wrong foot or never took off from the ground. So my question to you is, what are some of the pitfalls that someone who wants to start a BRG or an ERG should be aware of? There's, there's quite a few that I think I've encountered over the years. But um, I think the first one, when I, when I think about when folks want to start a business research group and they have these really great ambitions and great passion around it, it always starts with one person, but it can't remain a one-person show. It can't really be one person's vision only. So I think one of the key things to make sure it's successful is that's why we, we ask people to do kind of like you said, that listening tour to make sure that, you know, what they want is aligning with what everyone else wants, because it's not just one person's vision. So really getting what's going to impact the most individuals and make the biggest impact overall in our organization, make sure we're, we're meeting the needs of the greatest number of people 
because we can't really have it driven by one person's desire to, you know, follow an agenda that they have um, for themselves. So that's really one of the, the key things that could be a pitfall for our group when we have just a, a singular vision uh, around what the group should be and without considering and making sure all voices are heard. Because for us, our business research groups are essentially uh, an opportunity for more staff members to share their voices and be heard as a collective group. So making sure that that remains a priority. In other organizations that I've been in, I've gone through several different models of, of employee research groups and, and business research groups in the past. One of the first groups that I had started early on was a multicultural group. So it was almost all uh, a conglomerate of all different dimensions of diversity, just anyone who had an interest in diversity. It was one big group. And it was great to start with because it really was really inclusive. And, you know, we felt like we wanted to be one big happy family. But then there are competing priorities that come up, you know. So I kind of shifted from that model to where we are today, where it is really a little more segmented, which some people really feel kind of flies in the face of inclusion sometimes. But when we think about it, deliberate inclusion of, of specific groups is kind of where you need to start to make sure that all voices are heard and that there's a specific focus that individual voices may need to be amplified. Uh, so I think having these individual groups like we have today with the, the different dimensions of diversity represented, there's still a lot of cross-pollination and cross-functional uh, opportunities for these groups to work together um, while still you know, accomplishing a very specific goal for their own groups. So I think it really depends on, on what your organization is ready for. A lot of groups that are very early in their journey, maybe a collective group is where it starts to build that awareness. But then as you mature and you have really specific goals that are required or needed, that you're really trying to accomplish some change, then maybe the individualized approach is probably going to be better to really move that needle a little quicker. So those are just different pitfalls is to know where you lie on that, that journey and what's going to work best for you. Yeah, that makes sense. And as you were talking about this, you mentioned competing values. And when people are in groups like this, sometimes the the people who start the group may have a certain idea of where they want to go. Then other people join the group and they try to pull it in a different direction. And what what's what's your advice during that period of and I know I'm gonna misquote this, but you know, the whole <laughs> st- you know, the whole storming, you know. That whole acronym, that whole idea, all groups go through that. And clearly, mm-hmm. you know, BRGs and ERGs are not an exception. So even though on paper, everything looks all settled, when people actually start working with each other and their agendas and their desires and passions start to surface, they may pull in different directions. And I've seen this a couple of times myself. What's your advice for getting around that and, and resolving it in a way that keeps the group intact and gets them to norming as quickly as possible? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's always a challenge because, you know, a lot, of, a lot of passion, you know, sometimes it's unbridled and you have to kind of pull them back a little bit uh, to make sure that it's going to be sustainable and really be impactful. Because um, a lot of these groups maybe have, it's maybe their first time really getting into this kind of work. So they have all these great ideas, but really need that structure and those guidelines and maybe those guide rails to help them, you know, direct those energies in a, a, the most effective way without losing momentum, right? Because you don't want to discourage them either. The process that we've kind of taken on with our groups is each year, we had all the groups, all the leadership of the groups come together and do a strategic planning session together. So it really helps them align and know that we're all working towards one goal. And that goal is really to increase um, those or support those organizational goals 
each of them in a different way that supports their individual groups. So really aligning to a similar goal keeps them on track, keeps them, you know, not to have too many competing priorities because it has to really support our overall organizational strategy. So we do a retreat with uh, our leaders each year where they can hear what's new in our organizational strategy, what's new in our diversity strategy for that year, and then help to align their objectives and goals to those, you know, seeing how can I support, now how can the African-American BRG support what's happening from a DNI level and an organizational level this year. So they're really seeing the impact of the work they're going to do and have that line of sight with uh, the leadership as well to really show the value they're adding. Because um, really, at the end of the day, that's, that's one of the key priorities is creating value, not just for the members of the group, but for the organization. Yeah, that makes sense. And in, in the way, you're providing an anchor point, right? You're providing mm-hmm. a reference point that says, you're all coming at this from different directions, but ultimately, we all want to be supporting these key things. And that becomes your way of determining what things to pursue, what things not to pursue, where to where to go more energetically towards something and where to slow it down a little bit. If you have, though, that really adamant person, <laughs> I'm thinking of someone in my past right now, but if you have <laughs> that really adamant person who just basically feels that the group should be going in this particular direction and doing this, despite the fact that the other members don't agree with that, how do you deal with that? Because that will show up in the beginning very quickly, right? So how do you deal with that? <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. When you figure that out, you can let me know, right? Um, the, the ways we try to manage, help guide our, our BRG members is we have our policy in place. We have, you know, the, the, the guidelines for each group that kind of outlines, you know, make sure this is the purpose, that the work that you're doing has to support and somehow move forward organizational goals. Our executive sponsors are really kind of tasked as well as being kind of that, that that guidepost for our BRGs as well to say, you know what, to to help kind of bring the focus back to what the purpose of the group is. So it's not just an individual voice that's being heard, but to to remind them that, you know, this is the purpose. Remember, this is our goals, you know, holding them to the accountability of what their objectives were for the group um, from the beginning. So so our exec sponsors are, are really a key role there. But we also have an oversight committee that helps act as an advisory capacity to all of the BRG groups. So that's made up of um, myself, my leader, and one of our organizational development leaders in the organization as well. So we meet monthly with all the leaders of the group to just check in with them and you know see what they're working on, making sure it's aligning again to strategy and, and um, see if we can remove any obstacles or roadblocks for them. And if we check in you know, often we kind of help to avoid any of those issues before they become too big. If there is, you know, a certain individual that's, you know, causing any issues or, or has a different agenda, we can kind of get to that early and identify that early on before it becomes too big to manage. So definitely having those open lines of communication is definitely important. You guys sound like you're blessed with a lot of guardrails and a lot of structure <laughs> that enables you to, to really support the groups as they're, as they're forming and even as they're continuing to operate. So it seems to me that one piece of advice that I'm getting out of what you're saying right now is that if I'm in a company and I want to start a group, I want to find out, first of all, what are those rules and policies? And I think you touched on that earlier. But let's say if I find there are no rules and policies yet that are clearly defined, it probably pays 
to work with the Office of Diversity and Inclusion to put some of those together because then I'll be able to utilize those later on once I have my group to be able to manage it effectively because I'll have guardrails to work with. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I just start the group, and there are no guardrails, it's kind of hard to do that, right? Would you say that that's, that's a pretty good assessment? of uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Because as I, I mentioned earlier, a lot of these groups, it may be the first time any of these staff members have ever participated in a group like this. So they really don't have that experience to know what's supposed to happen or what they're supposed to do. So having those, uh, like I said, those, those, you know, those guardrails up for them to know what direction they should be going in, they can sort of you know, it helps them along to get them on their feet and get them moving uh, without wasting time spinning their wheels going in the wrong direction. And a lot of times it helps to make sure that uh, they are staying on track, um, seeing those, those signposts along the way to know they're doing the right things and going in the right direction. We partner really closely with our uh, HR teams as well to make sure that, you know, first and foremost, these groups are voluntary um, within the organization. So it's not a requirement. So everyone's job day-to-day job comes first. So we have to have, you know, um, policies in place that, you know, you have to really be performing well in your day-to-day role to be able to participate in the groups because we don't want it to be a distraction from, from your day-to-day job. We see it as an enhancement and also as a, a development opportunity for people to be able to network and, and utilize skills that they maybe don't get to do every day on their jobs uh, in a different capacity in these groups. So it's really a developmental opportunity and also, it's, 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 it's a privilege to be a part of these groups as well. So we don't want it to be abused in any way and, and uh, have the wrong impression around the organization. So it's definitely important to, that staff members know the expectations of them when they join a group and also what the organization is benefiting from their participation. Um, so when those things are clear, I think it's easy for staff members to know where they need to focus their energies with their work and with the group. You know, you just walked into my last question, Sherry. <laughs> my, my last question is, for people who are sort of sitting on the fence who want to start a group, what is your advice to them? Should they do it and why should they do it? Well, I think involvement in a business research group, the benefits of it are so, are there so many to count. But first and foremost, it's creating that sense of community in an organization, and you know, these days, I mean, that tends to be lacking, especially in large organizations where you feel like an individual, like kind of in a sea of people. These business research groups find a sense of commonality, a point of commonality and familiarity that make people feel connected. And that helps increase their engagement in the organization and also provides them with better visibility uh, to advance in the organization as well. So the benefits are, are numerous. Outside of just having that point of connection and a sense of community at work, um, you also have the opportunity to flex your skills and uh, get exposure to new people and new opportunities within the organization as well. And you get to learn more about what's going on because a lot of times the business resource groups are the first ones that get new information in the organization because they're seen as ambassadors and, and great communication vehicles for new things that are happening in the organization as well. So I think the benefits of joining a group uh, are, are many. To start a group, though, like I mentioned earlier, it's not just fun and games. It's, it's definitely fun to be a part of the group, but it's definitely, it's, it's, you have to have a commitment to the organization and to, you know, whatever dimension of diversity is of interest to you as well. So to really have that passion, that drive to want to make change and to want to put in the work, uh, those are important as well because 
it takes everyone uh, to, to make a difference in the organization. Sometimes you have some really great, passionate, high-performing people that, that want to do all the work, but it's really about making sure everyone has a voice and feels a part of it too, to really make it effective. Because you can have 200 people in your group, but there's only five people that show up to meetings every day. You know, that, that's not really true engagement, right? So, so we want to make sure that people are willing uh, and able to, to be a part of, of the process. Yeah, excellent. So it sounds like you're saying it's not easy to do, but it sure is worth it, right? It's something that's worthwhile. Fantastic, fantastic. Sherry, thank you so much for this. I think that our listeners are going to get a lot of value out of this conversation, and I really appreciate you making the time to join me today. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, all the work that you're doing to help these BRGs across the country reach their full potential. So let's take a pause here and consider what we've discussed so far about starting new employee groups. One, we want to do our homework and learn as much as possible about existing policies in the company and the support the company offers to these new groups. Two, we also got some tips on doing things like going on a listening tour before we start writing a proposal. And three, we talked about the importance of clearly stating how the group supports one or more of the organization's key objectives in our final proposal. Coming up, our panel is going to build on these points with more advice on how to prepare to come out of the gate running with a winning proposal for your new employee group. All of this and more when we return, but first this. ERG Power Talk is made possible through the support and sponsorship of Atrium Health, Friedert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. These are companies that are leading the advancement of ERG practices way beyond the confines of their organizations. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. And welcome back. Let's meet our panelists. From Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina, we have Nisha Paspoletti, a senior management associate, and the former U.S. head of diversity and inclusion at HSBC, Orly Lynn. Thank you both for joining me today. So my first question for you is this. In your experience, how did you actually directly start a new group? And Nisha, I'm going to go to you for that first question. So at Atrium Health, um, we have several what we call system resource groups, SRGs, and um, we decided, um, actually it was kind of a grassroots effort with some of our other employees, and we recognized that there was still a need for a tighter bond with some of our young professionals. We actually, it's, it's really interesting, our system is actually made up of 46% of millennial-aged uh, teammates. And so we really discovered that there was a need there. Um, We had so many other great system resource groups that we kind of thought maybe we could make this something else. There's there's definitely people are asking for it. And um, so came to our Office of Diversity and Inclusion and said, you know, I think we need a new system resource group. And um, there was a formal application process. So we're actually really lucky. We have um, a diversity inclusion group that's very well structured. We had established resource groups. And so it was kind of, we knew the process to get them going. So I wasn't one of the beginning grassroots efforts teammates, but in 2015, there was a formal application process, but then there was an actual um, kickoff. So we had uh, our chief of human resources at the time, who's now retired. She was a wonderful champion advocate. 
And um, there was this big event. It was widely publicized. Um, it was a brand new system resource group, come join us. And so that's where I kind of first took notice and I said, well, hey, I'm kind of young in my career. I would love to know more about this. I went to the kickoff and you know, there was no formal structure in place, but we knew everyone wanted to join. And so I slowly started joining first the events, what was advertised, got to know the leadership at the time, and then joined a committee. And then there you have it, um, you know, now coming fast forward to 2019, one of the co-presidents for our system resource group. Got it. So it sounded like you guys maybe didn't have everything structured out, but you knew you mm -hmm. wanted to put a group together. So your start was more along the lines of having a big kickoff event, having sort of the grand opening to bring some yeah. people in. That's great, Nisha. Thank you. So Orly, I know you had a slightly different experience. Tell us about that experience you had in starting a group. So for me, it was sort of... Um, it, my, my affinity, and I'll just kind of preface with this first. So my affinity to ERGs probably happened before I was even part of a diversity and inclusion team. And having worked in financial services for senior people in a support staff role, I became very sort of meshed into the work that the senior leaders I was reporting to were sponsoring. So for me, it sort of, it, it, it became part of my work in that I was helping the executive leaders who were executive sponsors to ERGs many, many years ago. Um, and I became sort of entranced into the work and began to realize, wow, I really love this. I love what we're doing here. I love that aside from what we're doing from a business perspective, employees have an opportunity to really have voice and raise some concerns or really just kind of gather together for a particular cause within the organization and the organization is funding us for this. Fast forward, Credit Suisse, I was there uh, as their program manager and I was overseeing all of the ERGs. We had quite a few ERGs, but we also had a presence of employees who were really interested in wanting to pull out of what we had was sort of like a, a bit of a conglomerate type of ERG. It was called the multicultural ERG. So our Latino ERGs and our African-American ERG and our Asian, I'm sorry, population wanted to sort of really just kind of span out and have their own presence at ERGs. And then there was another experience I had as a consultant for New York Power Authority where I came into an organization that didn't have ERGs, that I was basically brought on to help uh, the organization formulate its very first um, ERG groups, and as I started to formulate their ERGs, and as I started to formulate what, what was it we were needing from a DNI perspective around frameworking and so on, we realized that one, we needed to govern sort of the, the area and say, okay, these, these groups now belong to DNI, and in belonging to DNI, we are going to provide funding. We're also going to provide a organizational structure to say this is how we're going to operate and we're going to operate under these sort of guys that we're going to work toward the overall strategy of this organization. And so that was a really great opportunity for me. That's great, Orly. So let me ask you this. What lessons did you learn? If you had to do this all over again, would you do it differently or would you do it the same? I think I would do exactly the same thing I did in, um, in, in, in my prior role as a consultant. I came in, I assessed the organization. I listened not, to, not just to the top of the house, um, which were the senior leaders and the CEO. I also listened to the employees. So it was a 
top-down, bottoms-up approach. So I think if, if, if I had to do it again, I would probably do it the same way I did as a consultant because it allowed me to listen to the needs of the organization and the needs of the people. Got it. So essentially what you're saying is that last experience that you had in doing this has been the one that's been the most productive. So you did it a couple of other ways, but now you kind of have your formula that you've used that's worked for you. And it sounds like at the very root of that formula is actually listening to people that are going to be forming this group that are coming out of the company and what it is that they're looking for. That's great. So Nisha, I want to bring you back into the conversation again. What would you do now based on the lessons that you learned from the experience you had in your initial go around with the group that you're running now? So one big lesson I learned was not to over-engineer the process. And for me personally, that's very difficult. Um, you know, my, my day job here at Atrium is to do strategic planning and um, look at processes and understand what senior leadership wants and look at big future-facing initiatives. But, you know, over-engineering something that's more of a passion project or um, something that brings someone's whole self to work that takes some time and effort, and that's more about relationship building. So, you know, our first go around, you know, we did everything that you should do, you know, have a charter, have guiding principles, really understand your strategy. How does it connect to the business? Um, but at some point, I, I looked around and I noticed we put a classic organizational structure on something that was more relationship-based. So, you know, we had the roles, the titles, the responsibilities, a flow chart of how this group interacted with this chair and what initiative they'd be working on. And all of a sudden I thought, you know, I think I'm just adding more work to my committee. And how is that actually impacting our, our members? So I think for employee resource groups, over-engineering it takes away the passion for why you came to the table in the first place. So I think the next go around, I'd really listen to what um, a teammate or someone else or senior leadership, anyone, even if it's a grassroots effort, really wanted to do with the group, why it wanted, to, why that affinity group needed to be in place in the first place. I would not over-engineer the process. So I definitely think it needs to connect to bigger strategic items and are you moving the needle? But, um, you know, people are coming to the table because they want to and it's not their, their um, you know their day job. So I, I definitely, I think, you know, having, we collapsed some of our committee, um, committees and chairs and all that. And we actually became a fluid leadership team. So while we do have a loosely based structure, we actually adapted and we moved together on our signature events rather than saying, well, this is your lane. You really said you're going to do more of the education. You said you do more of the mentorship. Sometimes those things and those initiatives kind of bleed together and they merge into a bigger initiative. And I think putting those walls down and not putting a classic work structure on it actually got us bigger, better events that connected to what we wanted to do in the first place. Yeah, I like that. As I was listening to you talk about that, I was thinking back into my own past and realizing that in many cases, we have a tendency to apply the models that we know, the business structure model of mm -hmm. who does what, who reports to whom, who has what particular. Yeah. There is a lot to be said for having clearly defined roles and responsibilities. But when you have an organization that is supposed to be a network of partners, of people that are working together, that structure can't be entirely a bureaucratic yeah. setup that's rigid. So I like that. That's a really interesting insight. So t tell me a little more about that in terms of 
How do you balance that? How do you create an organization, in this case, a network group, that has just the right amount of structure, but that the structure is not so rigid that it doesn't have the flexibility to actually grow and adapt to the needs of the people that are the members? So I think I had alluded to this earlier. If you have a really strong diversity inclusion team that helps guide your employee resource groups, I think that's the structure. That's the sweet spot that's in place. So they can help you make sure that you still, you know, when you're in the weeds planning some of these events or really trying to listen to your membership, sometimes it's really easy to get lost in the details and the nuances of what you're trying to do. So having that strong diversity and inclusion structure, that leadership team in place that actually helps you run and move as an employee resource group, that's our sweet spot. We've really discovered that working very closely with our with our diversity and inclusion team, we actually have a liaison that's assigned to each employee resource group from diversity and inclusion. That liaison is what keeps the glue together. So um, I think what helped us grow as an employee resource group is to actually interact with other employee resource groups. So there's some things that we might take a different spin because we are more geared towards young professionals. So if you're young in your career or even just young at heart, there's no age limit. There's some things that we'd want to do, but wow, we know that some of those other events are very similar and related to other uh, affinity groups. So working with them, that diversity inclusion liaison, that's just been the glue that keeps us together. So really going to our leadership team and just saying, you know, we have this idea. We've seen it done really well before uh, from another employee resource group. Can we borrow some best practices? I know you have a bunch of resources and models that you can uh, provide some some guiding light to us. Maybe that could be your structure, but I think a strong leadership team also lets you be flexible. So they've let us do our own planning process, take our own spin on things, but you know they'll ask you the tough questions about how it connects to the larger strategy or you know how are you moving the needle for your membership. So I think it, it, it is exactly what you said. It's tricky. Um, you need just enough structure, but I think that larger leadership team can help you actually grow and develop as an employee resource group. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And by the way, I really appreciate that comment about if you're young at heart, you can join. That means that there's some hope (laughs) for my membership. Uh, We have a joke with our executive sponsors. They they keep asking when they're going to get kicked out of our group and it's never, you know, you're always welcome. (laughs) That's great. So thank you for that. So Orly, I'm going to bring you back in. My question here is, when you think about the groups that you've started, if you were to pick an MVP and say, that person was the most valuable player that really helped me get this group started, who tends to be that MVP? Yeah, that's a great question, Joe. Um, I have had so several experiences and several instances where I've had different levels of people within the organization really stand up and say, hey, we, we're, we're going to help back this initiative with you. One would be the employees who come to you already sort of formulated, ready to want to take a group outside of its comfort zone into something that's really going to be well-known within the organization. And another instance was when the leaders or the people who want to be leaders in that particular group are senior leaders of the organization. It really helps to move the needle. Um, those people tend to really be sort of in the grassroots of the formulating of the group and really say, I am going to use my 
my sort of corporate influence to be able to help bring this to fruition and not just the corporate influence, but to be able to also fund if we don't have the particular funding. That's when leadership that's fully involved in employee resource groups really become a true resource to our groups. Great. So people and the people who are managing the people who are going to be the leaders of the group. Nisha, what would you add to that? Well, first of all, Orly, those all really resonated with me. They were so important to our group as we were getting underway. But, um, you know, informal sponsors really popped up in our journey. And that was very interesting because we had designated executive mentors and they have been so engaged, very pivotal in that senior leadership, that influence, you know, in some ways, the, the recognition and the funding. But informal sponsorship, in our very early stages of our group, I never would have imagined how important that was to us. We had a few events that have become our signature events for our young professional system resource group. And that really did not take off until we found informal sponsors. And I think that's when you start opening your eyes in your own department, your own business unit, your own area, and taking a look around and saying, well, you know, I know I can't be the only one that thinks that this is important. So um, I, very early in our um, event planning, we had a very big event that, you know, I think sounded a little bit too meaty, a little bit more than, you know, we bit off more than we could chew. And um, a very early boss of mine, just she heard me talking about it in passing, saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to get this event off the ground? She said, when is it? And um, this was a senior leader, and she had no connection to our employee resource group because we were just getting off the ground. I said, oh, you know, it's going to be in the fall, but we just don't know where to have it, who's going to speak at it, you know, how are we going to get this um, going? She just said, I'll speak it there. You know, a lot of people don't know about our area. I'll, I'll do it. And she said, you want to offer lunch? Okay, well, let's let's see what we can do from our, our business unit perspective. And so just having backing in your own backyard, that was very important from the very beginning. Um, you know, you can get your name out there and have – you know, designated sponsorship, mentorship, but that informal process was just so important. So don't discount what's happening around you. Um, Your network's bigger than you think. And so don't do this in a vacuum. That was very important from the beginning for us. Great advice indeed. So let's move in another direction now. Orly, if I were to ask you to give me a checklist of everything that a brand new ERG or BRG leader should make sure that they take care of before they get off the ground. What would be on that list? And after you, we'll go to Nisha to complete our list. Sure. It's funny because I I talk about this quite a bit and I've created that list. And as I mentioned before, um, I've placed it on our intranet to be able to provide guidance to our employees when they're thinking about starting ERGs or wanting to start an ERG. One of the things that is most important to me is do you have the commitment and the drive to see this through? You need to know that your manager understands how you're going to you know, be a part of this and how it will not take away from your day job, right? And how you're going to see this through in terms of the overall structure because we do have a structure and we want to be able to provide guidelines to our ERGs to bring to fruition some of these initiatives. We want to ensure that we are touching the important pillars of our organization and most importantly, ensure that you have a group of people who are going to be just as committed as you 
to seeing the ERG really be successful. I tell our employees all the time, we need to see at least 50 people. So gather 50 people, bring us a list of who those people are and how you would like to start this ERG. And then we ask for a proposal. So a business plan, we want to ensure that there is a commitment. Excellent. Nisha, what are some of your thoughts on that? So I would definitely say do your homework. Um, I've definitely seen uh, a few folks come and email or bring to the table some very interesting proposals, but you know, if you kind of really dug deeper or you're committed to some of the employee, other employee resource groups, you, you would kind of see that there was um, some great work already happening in other areas. And so perhaps it's not that in another employee resource groups needs to be built out, but rather you need to partner. And so I've kind of seen that time and time again. I've seen um, a few conversations become hyper-specific where they want to splinter off and have a very specific subgroup. And from what I've seen in my experience, when uh, that becomes so specific that, you know, there isn't that coalition building there, um, it's not going to be sustainable. So we've definitely tried to recommend partner first. And if the need is still there, you know, do your due diligence, like Orly said, with the proposal, the application process, can you fill out your business plan? But more often than not, we're seeing that, you know, it's more of an awareness issue, not, um, another employee resource group is needed, that we just need to advertise more what another group is doing because that's exactly what another person wants to do. So if you really strengthen your ties between other groups, get the name out there, get the brand out there, get your projects, your initiatives, what you're about out there, um, that could really help with the splintering off because, you know, I, I, I believe that everyone has, you know, something that they're gravitating towards and an affinity, but more often than not, it's out there. Um, so I would say do your homework and attend other events for other employee resource groups because you can learn a lot from those leaders, learn a lot from that membership, see if there's any best practices, then see if you're actually filling out a true need um, because, you know, we want this to be sustainable, have longevity, you know, keep giving back to the community, but, you know, more often than not, you should probably be partnering. That's great advice. And Orly, I think you wanted to double down on some of those comments. Yeah, I did. Uh, thanks, Joe. So to Nisha's point, just kind of wanted to piggyback really, really quickly because she mentioned something that was super key. And one of the ways that I've tweaked how our ERGs operate now is that part of not just becoming an ERG and becoming a part of our various strands, we now ask ERG groups who want to start to partner with three of our ERGs before we approve it. So what we're doing now is we've created a community of ERGs, of allies, so that our ERGs are no longer operating just as silos. Yes, it's great. We want to see the African-American uh, ERG do things around, you know, Black History Month and so on and so forth, and even around development and, and, and strategic things around the organization and how to prepare other employees. But we also want to see cross-functional work. We want you to also collaborate and see what it's like working with our other ERGs so that when you start, it's not just about a silo group starting something and wanting to run initiatives all on your own. That, that will be a great part of what you'll be doing, but we also want to create a community of ERGs, and that's important for, for really coming together and working um, across functions and across strands, diversity strands. Yep, great advice. Nisha, I'm going to go back to you now and have you start us off on a, an, another line of thought, which is when you try something as ambitious to build 
a group of people, you always are going to run into the occasional, how shall I call it, obstacle here and there. What are some of the obstacles that you have seen along the way that you would advise people who are starting new VRGs or ERGs to be aware of and to take steps to avoid? I think it was really interesting with uh, a group that was, first of all, new, like the young professionals, but also um, they're new in their careers as well. So we kind of had to um, really examine some stereotypes about um, folks that were just starting out in their professional development, their careers, what they wanted to do. And so, um, you know, we were really battling against some more uh, established SRGs that just really, they knew what they were doing. They they really um, hit the mark. They had some events that everyone across our whole company knew about and it was well attended. And so it seemed kind of insurmountable to um, address, I think, some stereotypes like being a millennial or, you know, um, some of those, you know, yeah, stereotypes. They really, you know, there are some things about millennials that some folks might think. And so we actually kind of leaned in on that and we worked really close with our human resources team, our learning and organizational development team, our diversity inclusion team, and just put it out there. And we would have workshops on millennial engagement, stereotypes, um, cross-functional, multi, um, you know, disciplinary, different age groups working together. And actually having that open dialogue got us more buy-in in the beginning. Um, I think we could have tried to overcompensate and, you know, like I talked about earlier, over-engineer some of our projects. But I think if you put everything on the table and you're more transparent about it, um, you can overcome those barriers. So that was specific to the young professionals. But think about any affinity group, right? There's probably some stereotype there or something that you want to address or change. Approach that head on. It will address that barrier kind of in a more transparent way. You can have an open dialogue. And I actually think it helps you brainstorm better initiatives and projects and outcomes that can help you in the future. But um, you kind of, you can't skirt around the issue and you kind of have to hit that on the head. Um, so we, we definitely had a lot more workshops around um, our demographic, which could be, you know, applicable to any other employee resource group, but um, getting that and then it was a slow buy-in and now um, we've become a really trusted employee resource and um leaders come to us to kind of try to move strategic initiatives that hit our de demographics. So I would say be open and honest in the beginning. Yeah, that's such a great point. That's really good advice. Thanks for that. So Orly, going over to you now, what are some of your observations about things that can go wrong? I think one pet peeve for me was, and I've seen this happen at uh, two previous organizations um, early on in my career was, you know, really that, that, Again, financial services, we kind of, again, I, I have to reiterate this because we have a specific way of, of wanting to ensure that, you know, everyone is having a great time doing something that they love to do because it is a group that brings people together because of their affinity and their love for a particular strand, but also ensuring that we are... Um, we're adhering to the overall strategy of, of, of the organization, right? And I think one of the challenges we've had or that I have seen had is um, it specifically, and I'll, I'll, I'll highlight one of the ERGs only because I, I, I can do that a little bit being Latina as well, is the Latinx uh, community. Um, so whenever 
we were sort of reformulating our ERG structures and so on, um, I approached a few of our senior leaders and a few of the people in the organization who were not a part of the ERG, and we were revamping sort of the model. We were revamping how we were going to approach and what initiatives we were going to really be involved in. And when I went and I approached some of the um, leaders of the organization who were Latinx, they said, I don't want to be associated with the group. And I was really astounded to hear that, um, of course, earlier on, because I couldn't understand how this is, this is part of our group. This is where we have a voice. This is where we're really going to be able to make a difference. You're making a difference and a dent in your career here. Why not take that to the next level and bring that passion um, and, and that corporate know-how to this particular ERG who needs you? So what, what we found was that um, the group was sort of stigma as being the party group, as being the group that, you know, around a Hispanic Heritage Month, it was about learning how to dance salsa or learning how to speak Spanish. So we really wanted to tweak that approach because it really pushed away a lot of senior leaders. And funny, Joe, because I saw this happen at two organizations and people were just not wanting to be a part of that. They didn't want to be stigma. I think, you know, being already a person of color and, and for me, being a Latina, coming into an organization who um, you want to be viewed as someone who is, is, is serious, who is business acumen, not just about come and dance salsa, right? So we changed and we tweaked those initiatives so that we would start having a streamlined blend of the fund, but we're also going to be, going to be business groups who are driving initiatives that are, that are, again, touching the overall strategy of the organization. Great point. I think you nailed the two big ones. One is the preconceptions that people may have about the group and perhaps some of the things that the group does that might make the organization believe that the group is not really serious. So clearly starting a BRG or an ERG is not for the faint of heart. And that's why I think both of you emphasized in the beginning that you have to have not only the desire to do it, but a really strong passion and a commitment to seeing it through. Knowing how tough it is to really get it done. If someone came to you and said, yeah, I'm thinking of starting a BRG or an ERG group. Is it worth the effort? What would your response be? And Nisha, I'm going to start with you. Well, first of all, it's definitely worth it. Um, but you have to ask yourself why you want to start it. And um, I think Orly brought up some great points about, is it for your next steps? Is it for your professional development? Do you want to be recognized? But um, I think it all comes from a good place, but you have to really examine that motive. And so for me, it's been... A lot of growth in trying to build this ERG, but also you have to understand it's bigger than you and you're not just doing it for yourself. Um, so, you know, some of those emails from our teammates that um, I just wouldn't get to see because we're such a large company, just saying, you know, thank you for that event. I had no idea about um, this leader or this strategy or where we're going as a company. Um, it made me think about my next steps or my career. It's bigger than you. You have to have the right motives. And so, you know, that passion, um, that dedication, that commitment that we've talked about all along, it's just got to be bigger than you. So it's got to be worth it, but worth it for everyone else. So a great leader, you know, I think I really do believe in the servant leader model. And my proudest moments sometimes are when events are just successful by themselves. 
and they're not looking at the leadership or the team that put it on. It's just a great event. Well said. And Orly, what about you? I think, as I mentioned before, I think having passion for what you want to see happen and what that cause is, having a true purpose and a voice is utterly important. Yeah, you can't deny that. I agree that having a vehicle via which you can express your passions and having that voice is certainly something that's worthwhile. That's excellent. Thank you for that. So we're going to close with that. And I want to thank you both, Nisha and Orly, for joining me today. I think we've had a really robust discussion. So thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Joe, for having us. So here are the 10 key pieces of advice for people who are starting a new employee group that I got out of this discussion today. One, put together a plan. Two, make sure you link your group's activities to the needs of your members and the business at a minimum. Three, tie your approach to your company's pillars. Four, attend other ERG-BRG group meetings. Learn about what they are doing. Five, make sure your objectives are not redundant. If they are, instead of starting a new group, perhaps what you should do is partner with an existing group that's already pursuing your goal. Six, identify the biases that may exist about your group members and address them directly. Seven, identify at least a core group of people who you have identified as your future members. Two or three people who want to start a group are not enough. Eight, in addition to members identify partners, including other ERGs and BRG groups that can support you in your launch efforts. Nine, also identify executive supporters. Ten, make sure that fun is an element of your offer to your members, but don't make your group come across like it's only a social club where people get together just to have fun. Lastly, one more bonus piece of advice. Don't over-engineer the structure. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.